Hello and welcome to the weekly summaries of the Good Shepherd Bible Study. I am your host, Miller Ansel, the church planning intern. We are a Bible study and longing to be a church plant of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in Southwest Houston. So if you're in Southwest Houston, we meet in Stafford at 3211 South Main Street in a church building called Grace Center. We'd love to have you out. Also, please check out our website at gsbiblestudy.org, as well as like us on Facebook at Southwest Houston Reformed. This week's study is from November 26, 2017, when we looked over Matthew 5, verses 6 through 7. But first, our brief announcement that Good Shepherd is participating in the Snowfest Parade of Missouri City. So we'd love to have you out Friday, December 1st, to help us decorate. Also, to participate in the parade, come throw some candy out and sing some carols with us on Saturday morning, December 2nd. And if you'd like more information, please use our website to contact us. So this week, we are studying the fourth and fifth of the Beatitudes that Jesus gives here in Matthew 5. The first comes from verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. A great accompanying text, and one that also reminds us of the bigger picture, comes from Isaiah 51.1. In Isaiah 51.1 we read, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. And Isaiah is getting at a remembrance that your origin is from the Lord. It is he who brought you into being. I've never hewn a rock, but I can imagine if I had a big stone in front of me, I'm not going to have little pieces of it jumping out saying I want to be free. Rather, it is someone else who must act upon the rock to hewn out a piece of stone. So it is that the Lord has acted upon his people so that they love him, so that we have salvation, and so that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, so that we pursue righteousness. So as it is with all of the Beatitudes, these are not means of becoming a Christian. These are actually eight characteristics of Christians, those whom the Lord has hewn out of the rock. So we must remember that we have all of these things. We hunger and thirst for righteousness as believers. So what does that mean? What is righteousness? And how are we filled with it? We must think of righteousness. We can think of it in several ways. One is to be right with God. Another is to think that righteousness is the way things ought to be. And the way things ought to be are expressed via a covenant. We also ought to long to be in a right relationship with God and to be righteous before him. And of course, we know we are not that. We are not righteous before God. In fact, according to the covenant, we deserve curses and judgment and eternal punishment. But rather, we are filled with the righteousness of Christ. He has credited to our account all that Jesus has done, his perfect life, his death on the cross is now ours. And so righteousness, it's not simply our justification before God, and it's not simply 
our sanctification throughout this life, but it also includes our glorification. And I really think that's what Jesus is getting at in these Beatitudes. And this will come into play a little bit more next week, but there is a certain end times dimension to all of these. Those who mourn will be comforted, that is, when Christ returns. Those who are meek will inherit the earth, that is, when Christ returns. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied when Christ returns. That is, at our glorification, when all that righteousness uh, that is credited to our account, the Lord sees and says, You are my sons, you are my daughters, and you may enter in through the gates into the new heavens and the new earth. We can also note that hunger and thirst, is, it's really an incredible metaphor that our Lord Jesus uses uh, because hunger and thirst are something that are constant within our daily lives. We are never filled with food or drink this side of heaven. Nobody uh, drinks a cup of coffee and eats a cold slice of pizza in the morning and says, I don't want to eat anymore today. And they certainly don't say, I don't want to eat anymore the next week or the next month. Rather, hunger and thirst are a constant need in our lives with physical food. How much more is it for our soul to hunger and thirst for righteousness? We need the constant feeding of our souls, daily prayers, daily reading of the word of God, and most certainly weekly corporate worship with the saints. So there's a great importance and a great reminder here that Jesus gives of feeding our souls rather than starving our souls. We mentioned last week Mary's Magnificat that she sings in Luke 1 in regards to the poor in spirit. She also touches on this, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in Luke 1.53. Uh, the Virgin Mary sings, God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So our Lord is certainly apt to give his people the desires of righteousness that they seek, but we will not be filled this side of the second coming of Christ. There's also a negative reminder here that we are not to be deceived by those who claim to be perfect and have no more appetite, who look to past meals and say we are done. You see this more with the uh, holiness movement, say of uh, John Wesley and the Methodist Church and amongst others that say that we can be perfect in this life, that we will cease hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But that is not what Christ is teaching. He is teaching an end time satisfying for us and not something temporal here. So don't be deceived by those who say, well, I had a meal 10 years ago and I really haven't been hungry since. No, our hunger and our appetite for righteousness continues all the days of our lives. And so when we read this beatitude, we must ask ourselves, Am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Is that something that I long for as a believer? Uh, although we may not read God's word every day, although we fall and stumble and we don't pray every day as we ought to, can we at least say we are hungering and thirsting for those things and desiring them and becoming more and more satisfied until we're ultimately satisfied on the new earth? Verse 7 
The next beatitude is blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Well, what does that mean? I thought, Miller, you just told me that these are characteristics of Christians. It sure sounds like Jesus is telling me that if I'm merciful to others, he will like me enough to let me into heaven. Uh, Well, that is not what Jesus is saying at all. Rather, it is the Christian who is merciful. We do good works because we are saved, not uh, as a result of our own doing, but as a result of the Holy Spirit working within us. If Jesus were speaking of how to earn salvation, we know that none of us would ever earn it. None of us are perfectly merciful. Now for this beatitude, there is a great kind of anti-parable or anti-example In Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant or the uh, ungrateful servant, there we find a servant who owes his master a ton of money. And the master has brought this servant before him and the servant pleads for forgiveness and for mercy. The master grants it and sends him on his way. Then we find that this servant who was just forgiven finds somebody that owes him far less money than he was just forgiven and begins to choke him, saying, pay me back what you owe. Well, the master finds out about it and imprisons the the unmerciful or the ungrateful servant. Why? Well, he's not showing mercy. And in fact, Jesus says, do not be like him. But isn't that the typical attitude that we find in the world today? Is the world a merciful place? Right? We have sayings. It's a dog-eat-dog world, uh, which just attribute more so to our sinfulness of being merciless. That's not to say that there aren't uh, folks who have an extra dose of common grace and are great humanitarians. But as a whole, we find that the world is not very merciful. In fact, the world thinks, and us in our own sinful flesh tend to think, that life is best and we are most happy and we are most blessed when we can, and when we can ignore everything going on around us. Right? There are two things that really tear down our happiness. One is when calamity strikes us, but the other is when we observe the calamity of others. When we observe others unjustly oppressed, or sometimes even justly oppressed, we want to ignore it. It's an annoyance. It's bothering my happiness. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we harden our hearts or do we have mercy? Are we going to follow this beatitude or not? Are we going to act like the world or are we going to act like Christ? Because we can often look at those in a pitiable condition Uh, We can say we're sorry for them. And if words were enough, the world would be full of mercy. But in reality, all it is is lip service. And we need to remember that we're going to give an account of how we lived. If we have been merciful, then God will be merciful to us. If we have been merciless, then God will be merciless to us. A more positive parable is that of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. A very familiar parable. A Jewish man is beaten and robbed, left to die on the side of the road. A Levite and a priest pass by on the other side of the road. And it's the Samaritan that helps. It's the Samaritan that shows mercy and sees 
that he is taking care of. And we find two things we want to note about this parable. One is that mercy relieves the consequences of sin in the lives of others. The Samaritans and Jews did not like each other, but yet we still find the Samaritans showing pity and mercy upon a fellow human being, seeking to relieve the consequences of sin in his own life. We also see a second note is that mercy does not hide behind unbiblical scruples to protect itself from costly service. This is seen mainly in the uh, Levite and the priest that come along. Often people say the Levite and the priest didn't want to touch the bleeding man because they would become ceremonially unclean. Well, that would be a terrible scruple to hide behind to not show mercy. So the Good Samaritan is a great example of how we are to show mercy and pity those uh, to whom the consequences of sin has come. But as great as that example is, there is one that is greater than all others. And that is the father sending his son to save sinners. We know that all human beings have transgressed the law of God and we have all offended him. And yet even in the face of offense, he sends his son to live and die for those whom he loves. That the father looked down upon a people and pitied them enough to send Christ. And so we see that mercy is associated with men and their misery, that mercy looks upon the consequences of sin and relieves it. And that's just what the Father does. He looks upon the consequences of our sin and relieves it through Jesus. But consider how you feel against someone when they've transgressed you. Uh, Can you show them mercy? Can you imagine if in the Good Samaritan, the Jewish man who was beaten by the side of the road had previously uh, robbed and assaulted the Samaritan's wife? How much more incredible is it than that the Samaritan would show him mercy? Perhaps that didn't happen in the parable, but that's exactly what's happened with God. We have offended him. We have broken his law. We have transgressed his covenant, and yet... He still seeks to heal our wounds through the wounds of his son. So all praise be to God who shows us mercy. And may we ask ourselves, are we going to be merciful to those around us and pity those who are in the miserable, sinful condition that they are? May it be so. Well, please come back next week as we finish up the Beatitudes. And we'll go verses 8 through 12. And again, remember to check us out at our website at gsbiblestudy.org. Thank you.